Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. This is episode 279 for your ear holes. Uh, this is Ange coming to you, and this episode uh, was recorded solely by myself. Aaron and Shar were not available, but uh, we felt like this was such an important film and such an important interview that I was like, you know what? I got this. Don't worry about it. And uh, in actuality, I was shitting my pants <laughs> because I got to interview... Paul Schrader, writer and director of the spiritual thriller First Reformed, starring Ethan Hawke. And um, if you don't know, Paul Schrader has been a writer in the industry for 45 years, a director for 40 years. He wrote uh, a little film by the name of Taxi Driver. Uh, He also wrote Raging Bull. Uh, He wrote and directed American Gigolo, starring Richard Gere. I mean, this guy has been in the industry for so long and uh, not only was I really nervous about speaking with him by myself because I I always tell Aaron hey I like being your sidekick you know you can run the show and I just comment here and there sip my whiskey as I please Uh, but um, so I was nervous to speak to him on my own and I was nervous technically because Char wasn't there so here I am with this equipment one of the mics prior to the interview was not working, so uh, I actually had to do the interview with one mic, just going back and forth uh, between Paul and I. But um, I think it went really well, and he is uh, very easy to speak to, and I, I think he says a lot of really great things. And this film does not disappoint. If you're familiar with his work, it does not disappoint. This, uh, as he said, is his most personal project. And uh, I could definitely see why it was, uh, in my opinion, Ethan, one of Ethan Hawke's most powerful performances, if not in his entire career, then definitely uh, in the past few years. So um, go and see First Reformed out in theaters today, Friday, June 1st, and uh, enjoy the interview. So this film, wow, it is a beautiful film that tackles a lot of really heavy subject matters. Was that a conscious decision for you, or, or how did the birth of this film come about? Well, you know, it's we uh, are living in a serious times, and uh, I don't think one should be apologetic about making a, a serious film. Uh, it, the idea of it came about three years ago. I had written, when I was a critic, a book about uh, spiritual films. And I never thought that I would actually make one myself. And then I was giving an award to Pavel Pavlovsky for his film Ida at the New York Society of Film Critics. And we got to talking about spirituality and film and the new economics of film and how you could make film for much less money. And at the end of that, I was inspired. And I walked uptown and I said, you know, you're going to be 70 next year. It's time for you to write that movie you always swore you would never write. <laughs> and uh, so that's how it began. And and why did you always swear you would never write it? Was it because it hit too close to home? No, I was just too intoxicated by uh, action, empathy, sexuality, violence. Uh, these, uh, these are not in the Transcendental Toolkit. Uh, and uh, the idea of working... 
on the spare side I had just didn't appeal to me and I, I love what you say about uh, what you call a spiritual film uh, is that you like f to let leave room for the viewer to lean in you're not trying to tell them how to feel can you explain a little bit more about what that means and, and how you come across doing that yeah well if if the viewer has to lean in uh, to go to come anywhere if you lean toward the viewer you're just like any other movie and that's what these faith-based films are you know they're just like any other uh, commercial formula except they put uh, Jesus in the place of Tom Cruise or whatever but when you start leaning away then the viewer has to start coming towards you and now instead of manipulating them uh, aggressively you're manipulating them passively and you're enticing them into something more akin to meditation and introspection uh, that's where I think the spiritual lies in art it does not lie in um, identification and action I love that yeah that definitely comes across in the film is it's very dark quiet not a lot of music and and very still shots in in some sometimes very intense scenes yeah, well, there are um, about eight or so, ten, withholding devices that directors who work in slow cinema or contemplative cinema use. Uh, the long take, the lack of edits, lack of music, uh, planometric composition, uh, heightened sound effects, uh, no dolly shots, you know, and... No two directors uses items from this buffet in the same ratio. Mm -hmm. So they each plate they take along with the buffet is their own little mixture of these techniques. But they are the same techniques on the buffet. Wow, I love that. And and coming from you, this is great advice because your career has uh, spanned over four decades. This is your 21st feature, your 12th as both a writer and director. Wh which aspect do you like more, or, or do you just love creating the baby and then seeing it to fruition? Uh, you know, whenever I'm asked that question, I give the answer that Truffaut gave when he was asked that question. He said, when I'm Writing, I like directing best. When I'm directing, I like editing best. And when I'm editing, I like writing best. <laughs> that's, like, that's like when you, when you have homework to do and then you clean the house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love that. Well, well, you see these common threads between uh, the character of Reverend Toller played beautifully by Ethan Hawke. He, he's incredible. So you see connections between him and one of one of your most famous characters that you created, Tra Travis Bickle in, in Taxi Driver. Did you feel... Any pressure to make this character uniquely its own because of those similarities, or I mean, which you definitely did. He he stands out as different, but but you see these underlying the the loneliness, the the searching for meaning. Yeah, well, one you know, Travis is the creation of a young man, full of uh, adolescent and sophomoric anger, and. Uh, First Reformed is the work of an old man, you know, kind of full of despair and uh, and reflection. So it's the same character, but not really. 
Well, I, I love I love how you described that. So it's kind of like your career is kind of coming full circle. Well, it kind of feels that way to me because the first book I wrote was about spiritual cinema, and the first script I wrote was Taxi Driver. And so here we have a film that sort of combines both of them. <clears throat> and uh, so, uh, I mean, I don't know if First Reformed will be my last film. But if it is, it's a very good last film. Is it true that you were almost going to become a minister? Well, I, I, was, I went to a seminary, pre-sem, mm -hmm. Calvin College. Mm -hmm. uh, my father was a uh, frustrated uh, minister. He had to drop out in the depression mm -hmm. so uh, my brother and I were both raised to become ministers and we both uh, you know let our father down <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure he'd be very proud of everything that you're doing <laughs> I don't know if this is a letdown then I'll, I'll let down my I'd be happy to let down my parents too oh don't 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 be so sure when I was um, uh, my father never talked to me about uh, movies and because uh, movies were forbidden in our church, and uh, but then the only time he talked to me was uh, during Last Temptation of Christ. I started getting these phone calls, and, and, oh, wow. and by the third time, and now he's asking me what theaters it's going to play in and all of this. Huh. I said, Dad, by any chance, are you involved in the movement to block this film? <laughs> and he said, Yes, but only locally. <laughs> Hey, if, it, if it's a way for you guys to connect somehow on some level, <laughs> whatever it takes. <laughs> well, I love the, the questions that this film brings up about religion, one of them being the, the commercialization of religion and, and what role does religion play in not only us morally, but in political issues. Yeah, I mean, it is the journey of a, of a single soul. It's not a... It's not a sociological film in that way. I mean, it's this one unfortunate man who's trying to get over what Kierkegaard called the sickness unto death, despair. Uh, but in his journey, of course, it reflects on a number of other issues. But the, uh, the central focus is this journey and how how does one live with despair? Yeah, yeah there was this really beautiful scene, probably my favorite scene in, in the film, where um, Reverend Toller is speaking with Michael, and it's it's kind of like this conversation about science versus ideals or, or, or belief, science versus belief. And I feel like I've had this conversation before. I remember talking to someone and saying, okay, so uh, a religious man who's murdered someone is more is going to heaven before somebody who doesn't believe in God but is kind to everyone? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, it's a, it's a it's a deceptive scene in a way because it sets forth Reverend Toller, Ethan Hawke's character, as an eminently decent and kind person, and then uh, when he starts veering away from that, you know. We realize that he's not quite who you thought he was, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, and uh, also there's something spooky going on in that scene, which is he is being exposed to a virus, mm -hmm. and he eventually catches the virus. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, wow, it's really powerful. Did you always have Ethan Hawke on your radar for this character? Uh, yeah, I mean, normally I you don't think about actors when you write because it makes you a, a lazy writer, you know, because you're sitting there and you're hearing Al Pacino read the speech and you say, wow, what a great speech. Well, it's not a great speech. Al's a great actor. Uh, so, but about halfway through the script, I started thinking about Ethan. I'm thinking, you know, he's just the right age now. He's getting some very interesting lines in his face. He's the right age. And so after I wrote it, I sent it to him. And he responded uh, the next day, said, you know, let's do this. Wow. Yeah, and I, I think especially with an actor that's had a career like Ethan Hawke, sometimes for the viewer it's hard to separate that you're, I'm watching Ethan Hawke right now, but really in this film, I forgot that it was Ethan Hawke, and he's he's normally known as a badass in films, you know, and here he comes across as very fragile reverend, and I think he didn't, and, and not to mention Cedric the Entertainer in a very subdued role, and I forgot it was Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah, well, uh, the danger of that role, the... Uh minister of the megachurch is that uh, we have a predisposition to stereotype that character you know he's always the sort of corrupt uh, you know Elmer Gantry kind of guy mm -hmm. you know and one of the reasons I chose a black comedian is trying to get out from underneath that predisposition and uh, and someone who you associate with humor and when you see his face you smile and get the whole Pat Robertson thing out of there right. and so that was my thinking wow. yeah, it, <laughs> it played perfectly because at first I was like wait is that Cedric the Entertainer and then I was and then I totally forgot that that I was watching him Really, really great performance from all around. Yeah, well, we used his real name, Cedric Kyles, because it, I think it would probably send a, <laughs> the wrong message. To yeah. you. Actually, Cedric the Entertainer might be a good minister's name for a megachurch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another really important topic that's touched upon is uh, global warming, these environmental issues, and, and the idea of activism versus radicalism. Is this something that you're really passionate about? Uh... Well, I'm afraid. I think that the, the verdict is in. I mean, I think humankind has made its decision between present-day comfort and future survival. Uh, I just don't see that. I, I don't see us being able to reverse what we're doing. And... Uh, so um, this discussion that humanity has been having for the last 10 or 20,000 years, why are we here and where are we going, is no longer as hypothetical as it used to be because we may actually, in a few generations, um, that question may no longer be asked. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you, and it, it's definitely something that I've, I'm afraid of too. And and that's what I love about this film is you leave asking yourself a lot of these questions, and and also what does it mean to be moral and and do the right thing? Like wh where do you draw the line? It, it, not everything is so black and white. Yeah, well, I mean the the premise, the thing that starts the plot 
would not have been possible 30 years ago. And that is, should I bring a child into this world? You know, that, that wasn't uh, for the sake of the child, you know. That, that, that wasn't considered. Now, obviously, some people didn't want to have a child because they didn't have any money and stuff like that. But should I have a child because of what is becoming of our planet? Uh, that's a fairly new and uh, rather uh, agonizing uh, reality. Well, thank you so much for this beautiful film and for making the audience think and, and making them feel. I really appreciated it, and I, I was honored to talk to you today. I, thank you. All right, guys, thanks for listening. That was my interview with the amazing Paul Schrader. What a life, what a career spanning over four decades in this industry. I love everything he had to say from his own personal experience uh, his growing up and uh, every everything that happened throughout the course of his career that brought him to where he is today. Uh, I <laughs> I think it was really funny because at the end of the interview, we typically will take a picture with whoever we're interviewing and, uh, you know, put it up on Instagram or whatever. So at the end of the interview, this was his last interview of the day. I, I was shutting down uh, all of the gear. And at, just as I was about to turn and ask him to take a picture with me, he asked me the name of my program because I guess maybe they told him, but he didn't really hear. (laughs) And I had purposely not said bitch talk. Normally when I, in the beginning of an interview, I'll be, you know, Aaron and I, or I will say, welcome bitch talkers. We have an interview with Bawa, but I purposely didn't say it because I I know he would have been fine with it, I'm assuming, but it was just, I didn't feel comfortable saying it. You know, I was just, (laughs) so I purposely had not said the name of the podcast. And then he asked me, when the name was point blank and I look at him and I was like bitch talk you know and I kind of say it all as innocently as I can and he looks at me he shrugs and then he just walks away (laughs) oh man it was hilarious so at that point I was like I guess I'm not gonna ask him to take a picture with me (laughs) I mean granted this is the same man that has written uh, screenplays like taxi driver so of course he's he's hip with cussing and and whatever but it was just I don't really think he disliked the name I thought he was just like you know I don't even want to get into it with you (laughs) I'm just gonna leave that alone and walk away so uh, thank you Paul Schrader for for sitting down and bitch talking with me Uh, I I had a great time and uh, really honored by your presence thank you everybody for listening please don't forget to reach out to us on all of our socials or on Instagram Facebook send us an email go to our website we love hearing from you and we really appreciate you taking the time to listen we'll see you next time. Bitch, please.